Welcome to the AV Podcast Games Edition. Hello and welcome to AV Forum's Gaming Podcast with me, Mark Botright. Joining me this time are Steve, Leon and Stee. Good evening, chaps. Good evening. Good evening. Hello. Right, well, unfortunately our last podcast was set to be an epic. Um, it was all about the games of the year. It was huge in length, like uh, Citizen Kane meets Dr. Zhivago. Um, but <laughs> a failed dro- hard drive meant that it didn't get out there. So, as it's been a bit of a drought post-Christmas, we're going to go back over some of the things that we talked about. Does anyone have a, a definite for what they consider as a standout game of the year? Was there one title that really kind of hit, that we all kind of agree on? Ooh, making us agree, that'll be hard. Well, we could get into an argument about whether Deus Ex was a first-person shooter or a stealth title. I still say it's very much a shooter. As an overall game, as they didn't try and shoehorn in any kind of multiplayer side of things that was uh, contrived or anything like that. It, it was nice to see a kind of bold approach just to stick with a, a first-person uh, single-player game. And it, it had an atmosphere. You could go about different objectives in, in the ways in which you chose. I suppose then the only real criticism with that that, that stopped a lot of people saying that it's game of the year quality would have to be things like the boss fights i mean boss fights were once a fundamental part of any action game Uh, the idea of an end of level character a boss harder than the other opponents you'd faced thus far you can see perhaps why it was deemed a almost a knowing nod to the less casual crowd there's often a strange pang of nostalgia when bosses are introduced leon uh, how did you view that yeah, that's that's definitely something that I really wish they hadn't done, farming out the boss fights, because it's so jarring. The rest of the game was, was really, really good, and they'd, they'd done well to sort of do the whole cyberpunk thing really well, and allowed you to hack hack all the computers and stuff like that. That was something I was really into, and I was surprised that they didn't sort of stretch the concept to the boss fights, where maybe you could have defeated one by hacking or something like that. Um, instead, it, it did turn into a shooter, and it didn't really play very good as a shooter, to be honest, so... That was the only disappointing thing. Thing I'd, dis- I'd agree with as well. It w- it was jarring and it it was a strange, a strange decision. I, I'm I struggled to really find a rationale for why they did it. Perhaps they felt that it, it lacked a certain amount of tension. You know, you could you could almost get into a groove of of uh, finding a way in which you dispatched opponents. You know, with with stealth and and you know hacking. Uh, you know, robots and the like. You mm. know, uh, sentries. Uh, or like me, basically shooting a lot of things, yeah. <laughs> still stealthily, but you know, shooting them just because I, I it sounds wrong. I enjoy looting dead bodies, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice little soundbite, though. But you, if if you thought that a boss fight was around the corner at, at any moment, that that a seriously troublesome enemy that that would require a different approach. Perhaps the the theory was that that would add tension. I just found that it it made me just stockpile a ridiculous amount of ammunition all the time because I was never fully sure what the next boss fight would be. But they were quite poorly um, set out in terms of the AI and and the routines that the bosses that you fought. I mean, I think the first one, I was just sat behind a crate and he couldn't hit me from about two yards away. It it just took a couple of shotgun blasts and a a grenade. They were quite a, a bit of a damp squib. It's funny, um, I remember a time when a game lived and died by its boss fights. The way you describe it has actually put me off playing this game, just because I I know what I'm like. If I was to play Deus Ex now, I think I would put it on easy, and I would just run through the game just blasting everything. You know, feel bad if I put you off it. It, It's it's the atmosphere. It's not so much that, I I I don't like it when games ramp the difficulty up for no obvious or apparent reason, and Uncharted is guilty of that. Um, I'm trying to think of another game which has just left me tearing my hair out, and I just, I just don't enjoy it. You know, I'm, I'm getting older, and I understand the idea of a challenge, but I just, I just want to play a game and enjoy it. I don't want to be wound up by it. No, I, I get exactly what you're saying, but um, I mean, there are easy ways to get through the boss fights. There's, I mean, I, I perhaps I'm not the only one, but I, I never really found myself taxed, and I'm not really a great FPS man. I don't think it was necessarily a 
a bad idea as such, but the way in which it's been implemented, it does feel very much like someone was trying to hark back to, as you say, the days when a, when a game would live and die by its boss fights. I mean, I can remember continually replaying, you know, something like Super Return of the Jedi just to kind of get past the Emperor and that kind of thing. Um, even, even games like Mario were defined by their boss fights. You know, you'd have you'd have early ones and then you'd have the, the big boss right at the end. Uh, it was great. I used to love it. It seems even more unimaginative when you've got particular levels in some like Deus Ex where the tension is, is so palpable anyway. I mean, you know, sneaking through a, a, a police station where you're not supposed to be or something like that, but knowing that you don't actually want to have to shoot anyone and that it would be wrong to do so. You know, it, there are all those little moments where you, you're on that knife edge that it really didn't need it. Yeah, and then to have to basically you'd, you'd do that. There was a whole achievement for not do, for doing everything stealthily. So I made a point of trying to do that. And then you get to the end of a level, and then it was like, right, shoot the guy. <laughs> it's just wasted everything that you'd done before that point. So I was trying to be stealthy. I was reveling in the fact that I was being stealthy and then being forced to just turn it into a shooter, which if Ben was here, he'd say isn't what it is. Yeah, I mean, that was the major criticism, I suppose, was from the stealth crowd, was that they'd... They'd orchestrated this kind of wonderful atmosphere where you, you're sneaking through the shadows. You know, you you can use non-lethal takedowns. You're, you know, firing tranquilizer darts. You're you're hacking into rooms when someone's not looking. Do you and think there is a gamer that wants a stealth game, like purely yeah. a stealth game? Ben, Ben, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Just Ben. That's it. Just... Yeah, you're still firing the tranquilizer gun. You're still using certain weapons that are just non-lethal takedowns. I mean, there's not really that much difference there. But, I mean, I was just going to say the major criticism was from those kind of gamers who found that they had particularly set out their character to have everything equipped to be stealth, and then you're thrown into a boss fight where you suddenly realise, right, I I probably should have, you know, picked the Typhoon or or something like that. So, from one game where the presence of large enemies was arguably to its detriment, we move on to a title that practically pushed such foes in its ad campaign, Skyrim. The latest in the Elder Scrolls series of roleplay games, uh, Steve, you reviewed this for the site. Was it Game of the Year material? If you're coming from, I mean, I played it on the 360, if you're coming from that point of view, then definitely, but I know how, how much of a pain in the ass it's been for PS3 owners. I mean, they basically released it on PS3 and it won't, it won't finish in its... It's had three patches now. I think. I think there's one coming just about coming out now, and it's you can't. People will play it. You know, about twelve hours in, no problem. Then the next time they pick it up, they can't get through a door. It, it depends what sort of you know viewpoint you're coming from. But personally, I'd say it was because it's just basically everything from the previous. You know, Elder Scrolls. It's basically it's the old game. It's basically everything you wanted from that, and they've done it a lot better. I mean, AI is better. The world's not actually any bigger itself, but it's more it's more densely populated. So you know, there's no you won't find yourself walking for ten minutes and there's nothing to do. So there's there's plenty to do in it. You know, you, I mean, you could play it for fifty hours and you've, you've barely scraped turfs. I mean, I've, I've, I'm playing it on and off, and I'm hardly even doing any of the main story story quests. And you know, I'm I've still got tons and tons to do, and I've got loads of places still to explore. Um, but yeah, it's. It's it's like Day Six. I mean, it's a game that doesn't, you know, it's it's a single player game that can can hold your attention for you know hours and hours without the need for a multiplayer mode. And it's just it's a testament to them sort of games, really. Steve, you were particularly um, in awe of this game when you got around to playing it. Oh, I loved it. Uh, I just as um, as we started discussing, I turned around and fired up Steam just because I wanted to see what hours I'd notched on it. And uh, I'm seeing 84 hours. I think I've ever played anything um, for that amount of time before. Obviously, something like um, an online game might get that kind of uh, playtime, but for a single player game, I think that's great. It's such great value for money. So absorbing. I highly, highly recommend it for anyone. I mean, it's kept the scale and the scope. I know some people were were kind of hoping for something even grander, but I think that to a certain degree, that's being a little bit greedy i mean you know you've got a game world that you can wander across and it's going to take you an absolute age to get anywhere you know without fast travel i think these things have to be warmed up to and you've got to look at it on a as a progression from um oblivion and from there they've just ramped up the quality on everything from the voice acting to the 
the way the quests are written and how they play out the scenery just everything just takes it to that next level um and i'm sure from this they'll they'll have learned things and you know they'll have ideas for going forward and, and we're yet to see any new content for it as well there's going to be loads of dlc and um the the mod scene's already really really thriving um for this game it's, it's not going anywhere it's going to be around for a long long time and people will still be playing it this time next year i guarantee it okay so everybody loves this game except you <laughs> I don't like your tone. <laughs> I, I, I'm just sitting here and I thought, you know, I'll, I'll let you have your little discussion about how great it is. And then I'll pop in with my opinion because I do like this sort of game. Um, I like Fallout, which really is my sort of thing. It's more sci-fi, it's more shooting. Um, the whole RPG elves and orcs thing, it really isn't my bag. Now, in the Lost, in the Lost podcast... Steve, you suggested that I should play this. Um, well, depending on your answer, I'm going to say maybe I might have said that. <laughs> you did say that. And to be honest, a lot of my friends said the same thing. Everybody was saying, oh, it's so good. If you loved Fallout, you'll really like this. So I broke and I bought it. Um, and I put it in and I started playing it. And it's, it's not that I don't like it. It's just that I think the subject matter is so worn. I think it's so worn at this point, And it's just so beyond what I like. I, I just can't get past it. I don't think I can get past the whole elves and orcs thing. And and a, lo- a, lo- and a lot of people say that. A lot of people do. And uh, really, I suppose, if I thought about it, then it's really not my character to go for that kind of lore either. You know, I would consider myself as someone who enjoys the sci-fi genre or a superhero genre a lot more. Um, trying to put my finger on a, a way to describe it. I mean, I think the writing's first class... Um, it never it never feels over egged to me. Um, even though it is about dragons and elves and orcs, it never feels like it's too much. It feels like they've got the balance just right. Um, I mean, don't get to me wrong. Accessible to everyone. I am still gonna keep playing it because I, I see things in it that I. Where, like. where whereabouts are you in the game? Let's. let's... <laughs> okay, so I've, first thing we should you know that whole Half Life traveling on us tram sort of you can't move call of duty 4 look around the world and see how awesome this is i, th- I think i think we're done with that yeah that, that, that were a crap entrance that that was. i mean what we've we got to remember though is that these are these are games developers they're not writers and even though i'm sure they have dedicated writing teams if those writing teams were particularly of a, an amazing caliber they're probably in in television or film, so no. you know, and still they're ready to throw big money at these things. Then I kind of think you kind of got to let these things wash over you a little bit. The the writing wasn't the problem. The problem was I I'm of the opinion that this was going to be boring. My expectation was this game was going to be a little boring to me. I don't like the subject matter, and for the first twenty minutes, my hands are tied. I'm listening to people drone on about some sort of resistance or something, and then I I, I can't do anything for about fifteen minutes in the game. And it was just, I was dying to get into it and do something. And then didn't help that the first bow that I could shoot at or shoot something was like, had one arrow and then it was over. And then I had to slash people again. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to give it a go because everyone seems to love it so much that I just feel like it's, it feels like one of those games. It's a touchstone at this point. I mean, Everybody. given that I've sunk 84 hours into it and you're moaning about the first eight minutes, <laughs> well, this is can, the you I'd... can imagine the, uh, the look on my face where I'm looking, looking down my nose at the microphone, <laughs> which is a route to you. And this is, I want to, I want to like it. I want to join in and say it's, it's a great game because I, I know fundamentally the systems underneath I do like, I played fallout for hundreds of hours. So it's, it's just I can't get past it, but you know I can appreciate its its good qualities. When it when the world opens up, the there are things in there that you think are just kind of run of the mill at the time, and then you'll get another ten hours into the game, and then something will crop up again that will reference that event that happened or that person that you met, and you'll think, man, that is just such a great touch, and it's got a very there's a very dark undertone to it. There's some very macabre themes with all the Daedric missions and uh, quests. Uh, there's times, you know, where it's really quite quite a nasty game or, or nasty in subject matter. Um, and it's just it's just that that keeps me coming back. It's it's a real um, it's a real experience. Um, and pro- I probably haven't felt this way about a game since I played Fallout. So. Yeah, see, that's, that just makes me want to like it, but I just can't force myself. I tried to fool myself into thinking it was Game of Thrones the game, 
because I can kind of watch Game and of Thrones. That, yeah, that's kind of I can see why uh, I can see why people might do that, but yeah, yeah, it's it's its own thing in its own right. And um, give it time, you'll get there. I'm sure. I will. I'm, I'm Next trying. podcast, we'll ask you again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but the only, the only other game I was going to mention was Portal Two because that was ages ago. But everybody yeah. keeps forgetting about Portal Two. It was a year ago, so yeah, yeah. I think it was just it was just brilliant in. Not every way. Um, I guess there were a few few things. The DLC was a little bit disappointing towards the end. They made us wait for so long, but the package as a whole to begin with was, was just a masterclass in storytelling, really. Um, Stephen Merchant was just brilliant in it. I think he was made such a great appearance. I think he's probably like my favourite character of the year, probably. The writing for that game, certainly... When you play it, and then uh, pretty much everyone I know says the same thing, which is the next game you then next disc you then put into whatever console or PC, you know, whatever platform you're playing on, you you notice the drop-off in, in writing quality. Mm. Um, it, you know, they, they got these kind of just disembodied voices to be kind of multi-layered characters with a, with a really weird sense of just this kind of tragic drama to them as well. You know, it's... You know, without giving too much away, although I'm sure everyone's played it by now. But you know, you go through the range of emotions with this, <laughs> with this just this basically this metal ball, and it it doesn't seem if you wrote that down on paper, you'd say, well, this is there enough substance here, you know, to make a full game out of, you know, because the, the mechanics are, are still, you know, really simple. It, it's it's all about level design. And then finding a way to to weave that into a, a tapestry of a of a narrative, and uh, it it still surprises me that they actually managed to do that for for an entire game. It's a short game, but you you definitely feel like you've made a journey by the end of it. Uh, you definitely feel like you've you've done something with people. It, it was a great experience. I I really enjoyed it. But my only complaint was that it was a little bit easy. Yeah, it was. It wasn't up to the levels of the first one. You kind of eventually were just looking at the world and portal vision. Um, and just deconstructing every bit, which it, it was isn't a bad thing in a way. But I guess if they'd have made it too hard, then it would have stopped the flow of the whole thing. What's the DLC like? Does that does that have a quite a big difficulty ramp or uh, not? Not massively. It's it's really hard to sort of judge with Portal because Portal's one of those things where you'll you'll sit there looking at something for an hour and then go, oh, I could have seen that in five minutes. Yeah. Um, do you know what I mean? So it's kind of hard to sometimes. It just depends on how long it takes for you to to see the answer. Um, but I, I wouldn't say they're massively more difficult. I think once you've once you've finished Portal, you'll you'll rip through the DLC. Yeah, I mean it, it's always going to be hard in terms of in terms of getting some kind of a a nice even difficulty curve on that kind of game, simply because you you don't know how two people are viewing exactly the same puzzle. Yeah, definitely. I mean there are there are some levels that I got through just ridiculously quickly, and just you get that little kind of feeling in, of my word, I must be a genius. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this is brilliant. I've bested this game. And then all of a sudden you just get stuck. And you you, get, you kind of go through this range of emotions of just, right, come on, start looking at it with different eyes. And then you start thinking, it's clearly something wrong with the level design or, or you know, something's wrong here, the physics is wrong or, or something. And then inevitably... Uh, the game's you, you broke. Re- you realise you're a spanner. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> you do. You reach that breaking point where you just think, I can't look it up. I can't ask someone for help. I can't do it. And then, you, say you look at, say, a, a video online or something, and you just see the general area where someone's pointing a gun, then you pause it and think, no, I'm going to take it from here myself. And you still just end up ridiculously stuck. And no two people, it seems get stuck in exactly the same place in the game and if if i i had kind of any criticism i suppose it would be simply that with some of the larger levels they're fantastic to look at and it's great to be kind of whizzing across and and flying through the air on an even grander scale but sometimes it does require you to kind of look through the level with a zoomed view for quite some time before you spot just some little kind of slightly elevated platform or something that you can only hit from a certain place but that's the joy of it, really. That is Portal. I was going to say, you know, that that defines Portal for me. Yeah, I mean, you, you could, I suppose, basically, it's my resentment. When one beats me, you end up thinking, 
damn it, that that wasn't fair. But really, you, you know, you know that it's all just down to you know how well they've designed the levels. How long did it take to beat the game? Do you think? Uh, well, I I think I kind of took my time generally, but when I, you could see the solution, then you go for it straight away. I think I was about twelve hours. Yeah. Which I think I think that's about general. You know, I heard some people say, "Oh, well, I beat it in seven, eight hours," and I just think, "Well, what was the point? You haven't even, you know, you've probably not even looked at." Well, half mine's the things mine's at nine, and I mean, I, I dare say that might be why I feel it was too short. But what I would say I did is I played Portal One immediately before, and I went straight from Portal One to Portal Two. That, that must have been weird going straight from Portal 1 to Portal 2 because when I've gone back to Portal 1 after Portal 2 it's, there is a very a definitive difference in not not the designs but just I don't know, the confidence in the way that they execute it um, Portal 2 is just some, some of the bits, like the intricacies of the levels when they're like, you walk through that bits with rails and they're constructing the robots around you and you can, like you say, you can just walk through that um, in like a minute but if you actually stand there and watch it it's actually really interesting mm. so I, I don't know, Portal, Portal 1, does it seem like super sparse? If you could call Portal even more sparse, I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, of course. They, I mean, they're, they're night and day in terms of um, the ambition that the developers had at the time. I, I wanted to I wanted to play them and then be able to compare them directly. And, what, you know, what better way of doing that? Yeah, but I mean, you know, you say you were, to an extent, sick of it, but... It's one of those games where you couldn't not finish it. Yeah, sick of it in a good way, I think, is um, is the way I'd describe it, if that makes any sense at all. It's funny that you say that, because just off on a tangent, I was reading a, a thing online which was talking about games and, and why it is that we actually play them to completion. And it was saying that, to a certain extent, completing the game itself is the reward. You know, it's, it's not the end cutscene. It's that you're able to then stop playing it because you know if you're kind of an ardent gamer you have to play it through to the end and there are some titles that never actually quite reach that there are some titles where you can kind of just chalk it up to experience and say i've played 75 percent of this game i don't care about the characters i don't care about the end cutscene. i can happily walk away from this but i think the beauty of port 2 was it's not only got that classic puzzle element of you know kind of like a, a crossword that you have to finish, you know, you have to see all the puzzles and test yourself against it. But you know, the story as well. As I say, it, it, it was tragic, it was moving, but it, it's also one of the funniest video games uh, you know I've certainly ever played. Yeah, it was good fun, and it, it was good fun in the right way. You know, not in a Duke Nukem way. It was, it was just very personable, and you could identify with the characters. And many of the unseen characters, you know, the voiceover um, was just great. It was just so on the money. And so I suppose there to another game of the year. Steve, you were particularly impressed with yeah, Duke Nukem? you could say that, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to say Duke Nukem for some reason. <laughs> you caught me off I, guard. I, I think they were offering it for like three quid the other day on Steam. Don't buy it. Do uh, not buy it. it well, even then it wasn't enough for me to pull the trigger. They should be paying you to play it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone were going to buy it just because it was Duke Nukem and it's his first game that's been out for years. But the best bit is drawing a penis on the whiteboard that you can interact with in game, and that that sums it up really. That is the best part. Very start drawing a penis on the whiteboard, <laughs> and then you could do that and be done, and you'd get your money's worth, your three pounds worth. You bet. I mean, it's, it's a shame because it, it, everyone seems to have such fond memories, but then. Really, was that just a sign of just how immature we were yeah. back then? I mean, there are parts of it that could genuinely be actually. I mean, the the bit where you are shrunk down and you're jumping through the kitchen, you know, that that bit is probably the best level, and it could actually be good. But like you say, it's just it's relying on like mechanics and bits of humour that just aren't funny anymore. You know, they were funny ten, fifteen years ago, but now you, you want to play a more serious game I mean you, like, it's like Paul you can play an easy going game that is quite funny but you're not you're not laughing about bums and tits anymore are you so I mean some of us might <laughs> well, be obviously yeah. from that little <laughs> giggle but see this is the thing though I, I feel like they just pitched it wrong um, because we were laughing about it on the last podcast about how immature this was and before the last podcast I hadn't played Saints Row the third um, but since then I've actually completed Saints Row I've, I've played it through in about five days and it is possibly 
it could be called immature and vulgar as well, um, but it's just pitched in a very different way, and I think it's just a lot smarter in it, and it does it well. It does it in that in that kind of old rock star way, where you know San Andreas was immature in a way with like the hot coffee and everything like that, but it, it did it in a kind of a much more I can't I can't think of a better way to put it than smarter. But if, if you play GTA, then you know the sort of humour that I mean. Yeah, I mean the line between kind of what is cuttingly satirical or what is just kind of um, smart, almost postmodern, bawdy humour, and something that just seems just a little bit kind of uh, too contrived or just trying too hard. You know, there, there's it's it's a really fine line there. It's one I've yet to pick up though. But it's weird because I usually have one sandbox game in my collection at any one time because it's it's good just to kind of let off a bit of steam and, you know, drive around, maybe mow the odd pedestrian down and that kind of thing. And then loot the body afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what Saints Row the Third is. It is just letting off steam. I mean, I've completed it. I've got to a point now where by the end of the game they just sort of give up and they go right here you go have unlimited ammo you don't take damage from anything um you know you can streak across the world and just do absolutely what you want so i mean at this point i'm just this naked woman who jumps off the top of a building and starts doing wrestling moves on people as they walk past it it sounds ridiculous but and that's because it is and it's and i love it for it um so yeah i don't i don't know is saints row immature yes but does that make it a bad game i don't think so it does it in a very smart way um, even down to like the dialogue where you're having gunfights with people and your character asks somebody, oh, how long do you think it'll be before our ride gets here? And he goes, oh, probably about three waves of SWAT guys. <laughs> and it's just, it's just so self-aware that um, you, can't, you can't help but like it sometimes. Well, we've mentioned a few of our single-player games of the year, but what about multiplayer experiences? The phenomenon that is the massively multiplayer online gaming scene continues to rake in subscription fees and this year saw the highly anticipated Star Wars The Old Republic enter the fray. Uh, Steve, you've been dabbling with this uh, Game of the Year contender? Uh, Yeah, I think if it had come out sooner, um, we might just be having that conversation right now. I mean, as it stands, I'm very early into the game. Um, having started a little bit later than everyone else, but it seems to have uh, pleasantly surprised a lot of people. Um, it's not quite the Star Wars game that I think everyone hoped for, um, because the you know the iconography and everything it is Star Wars and it feels like Star Wars, but something's not quite right about it. Um, but putting all of that aside as an MMO, it, it just does exactly what it's supposed to. Um, perfectly there doesn't seem to be too many of these quests where you've got to go and kill 10 of this or pick up 10 of that which you know really drags down um, the wows of this world for me Um, they still do that but they dress it up with so much um, narrative that you never really feel like you're doing anything that boring or that menial it eases you in so nicely um, and then when it opens out it's just this you, you really do feel like you're in the Star Wars galaxy. There's just so much to do. Yeah, I mean, one of the the criticisms that I have read, which has been some people feel that it's it's perhaps, certainly for the first dozen or so hours, it, it seems more almost like a, a single-player experience, that there's not necessarily that that push towards making you um, become part of a, a squad, you know, a balanced team of players. Would you say that was that was valid, or...? Yeah, I guess in some respects it is. I mean, I I managed to um, get some groups going um, on some of the early stuff. I don't think I could have beaten it without help from some people. So, um, I mean, once I mean I'm not an MMO player, so this is a big learning curve for me. But once you get to grips with um, the chat and the terminology that people use and the and the etiquette, if you like. Um, you soon get into it and you, you you have a lot of aha moments and you understand what's going on and, and you kind of can see why some people get so addicted to things like WoW and, um, uh, and other games in the same vein. And of course, once you hit a certain level, then you open up the whole player v player side of things as well, which is a whole other aspect to it. So they're, they're, they're great value for money in terms of what you can do in the first month. I was slightly annoyed that you have to buy um, a subscription straight away off the bat. So you pay, let's say it's £30 for the game, and then you have to buy a 
£12 card or put in your PayPal details before you can actually play the game. Um, which I thought was cheeky, but I'm told that it's standard fare for all MMOs, so okay, fine, it doesn't make it right. Um, but if you're into the game, you can literally just spend hours and hours and hours, and it's just so much content, so many levels to hit, so many weapons to unlock and different abilities. Um, if you're not an MMO player, this is a great place to start if you're interested. How are you coming to this game? I mean, uh, are you you know a fan of, of the material itself? Because I know that some people, and, and uh, I've been as guilty as this as anyone else, slightly put off by the general kind of character design, that kind of thing. You know, it, it's very World of Warcraft, Clone Wars, you know, with the the oversized limbs and everything. I know they scaled that back to a certain extent and they've tweaked that, but... You know, the graphic, the, the, things like the graphics and the art style are never going to be on the level of something like Batman or Skyrim or any other AAA game because you've got to make an MMO universally accessible to as many people as possible. So from everyone who's running it on the lowest end laptop to who, someone who's running it on a £3,000 gaming PC. Um, and because of that, the art style is always going to be very middle of the road. And of course, the writing and everything is it's handed over to this generation of writers that I've no doubt are Star Wars fans in their own right, but they're not the original um, writer that can. They're not George Lucas. They're not. Uh, they're not uh, the director of Empire Strikes Back. I forget his name now. Uh, Irvin uh, Kirshner. Kirshner. They're bringing their interpretation to it and not only that they're basing it in a time which was long long before everything we've seen on screen already so no one can really say what belongs and what doesn't belong it's just whether they pull it off or not so many of the voices are uh are british voices as well so you know i think to the average british player it's just going to seem like you've spent a day at the office as opposed to actually spent time in the star wars universe but i suppose that's you know that's always been the Star Wars way. If you're in the Empire, of course you've got a British accent. But it's absorbing. It is an absorbing game, and um, if you can click with the the play style, um, then I think there's a lot there to to enjoy. It, it, it's a difficult one because a lot of people don't really get an MMO until they play it, and then they're just like, "Where is the fun in this?" Others, you know, are totally absorbed by it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really in. An MMO player, but it, it's certainly one of those that, if I was going to get drawn into it, and I may still yet, then that would probably be the title, title for me. On the forum, uh, there's a guild going, and it's you know got plenty of members, and it's thriving. So uh, yeah, if anyone's interested, swing by the PC gaming forum and uh, get involved. Sounds good. So if that's then the the big MMO title of the year, I suppose um, should touch on two big multiplayer titles of the year you've had the fps showdown of modern warfare and, and battlefield 3 um leon i'm reliably told you're the man to talk about this kind of thing particularly modern warfare i feel pigeonholed <laughs> <laughs> but i guess I, I guess that kind of is my thing um I don't know. Even for me, and my forum name is Guns Lots of Guns. Um, I've had a lot of a lot of shooters recently, and it's it's getting weary, even for me. Um, but uh, not to say they weren't fun. Um, I did enjoy the, my de- my yearly dose of Call of Duty and Battlefield, but I think we need another reinvention, much like Call of Duty Four gave us. Um, we need something to push the genre forwards. So, I mean, stuff like Deus Ex and stuff which mix shooters and other interesting elements are much more appealing to me now. Um, so, if you shooters, a little bit disappointing for me. Um, but I guess so, that's just fatigue. Have you already maxed everything out then? Got to the highest rank and all that kind well, of malarkey? This is it. I think, I think, as I say in my review, um, how much you enjoy this Call of Duty entirely depends on how much you've played in the past. Um, and you can sort of chart my interest in the series. Call of Duty 4, I prestige 10 times and whatnot and then modern warfare 2 i think i stopped about eight um black ops i didn't bother and this one i've got to about one prestige so it's just um, my willingness to put time into the franchise has reduced that doesn't reflect the fact that it's any worse than it is it's just that there's only so much of it that i personally can can consume um but it just seems that everybody else has an endless appetite for it or they seem very good at attracting new people to the franchise i'd I'd love to know whether that was the case i'd love to know the figures of who is actually connecting every day and how it compares to what must surely have been the peak which is modern warfare 2 and 
and Black Ops. Mm. Um, I, I I'm not I'm not convinced that it's as popular as it was before. I'm really not. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that it's sold. I think it would have broken all records that they say it would have. I'm just I'm just intrigued to know what those online stats are. How many people are connecting and is it as big compared to years gone by? Um, I, I'd love to know that info. I, I doubt that's something that anyone would ever be able to get their hands on. Definitely. I think we'd all love to see it, but whether they'd release it, I don't think so. See, it does seem almost like the the general ranking system is almost like a marketing masterstroke. Because, it, yes, it, it's it's integrated into the core kind of gameplay, but it doesn't necessarily kind of define the game. But yet, there's kind of large proportions of the market will want to buy it straight away, so that they can almost like get the drop on everyone else, start unlocking things straight away, you know, build up that rank. Pretty much, if you accept that you're going to buy it at some point, then you may as well get in on day one, and that's what you know. Why I suppose you get such huge crowds, you get these these you know huge queues for it, and everyone is desperate to get in there and see exactly what they've done to the weaponry and the like. I don't know. I just, I just think that all of these rumours about it going pay to play, um, subscription based. I think, I think their time, the, their window of opportunity to do that is gone. I think if they'd done it at the height of Modern Warfare Two or just as Black Ops were being released, I think it might have worked for them. But I just don't think anyone would go for it now. I don't think they'll get away with it now because the genre is so long in the tooth. Um, and even if they came out with this most amazing next-gen thing, I still don't think they'd get away with it now. Their time, it's mm. been and gone. They'd do something like Elite again, probably. What is the allure of Elite? It's, it's more for you, you know, people who are hardcore fans, and I mean, it tracks your data and you, where people are dying and best, you know, spots to get kills and stuff like that, so it's only for you. I mean, for clans and stuff, it's, you know, it's one of the best things to happen to it, but for, you, right. for your okay. average gamer, okay. it's probably not. I, mean, I didn't realise it gave you that information. That's that's quite cool, actually. That's mm. pretty impressive. I mean, didn't I, it um, discount the DLC for you? So if you bought yeah, it, then it essentially you'd be getting cheaper. It'd be better than buying it all separately. Yeah, sort of you, get, so, you get it uh, before everyone else as well and stuff like that. So Yeah, you do get it early as well. Mm. Um, but like you say, Steve, I think I think the window opportunity for people like you and me has passed because we've been there since Call of Duty 4. But for the people who just arrived at Black Ops or something like that, they're, they're, they're still at the going up in the bell curve with their Call of Duty love or whatnot. Um, yeah. so I th- and I think it's just, I don't know, they just seem to be able to, you know, there's an endless supply of new people which compensate for the people who are dropping off the end of the curve. Um, so I think it's just, I, I don't, I would love to know what's going to change the cycle. But, but it's, it's funny when we, we talk about marketing master strokes and, and, and you know, that, that thing that keeps you coming back. But ultimately, all it is is like, okay, you, you hit the end of it and then we'll give you a chance to press the button and you can do it all again. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's do it. And just, I just think, man, all of that time that I spent playing those games, I could have been playing other games. I, w- I wouldn't knock anyone for doing it. I just think there's so many great games out there. that, And I suppose this, you could point at things like Star Wars and WoW in the same way. Is that why would you invest so much time into one thing? And I suppose all it boils down to is that basic human desire just to build something up and build it up and keep building it up and when you're so invested in it it's hard to walk away from there's a whole kind of social side to it you know if, if someone's involved in a clan or something like that that clan's still going to be there for the next instalment and they'll they'll join up they'll buy the game they'll discuss the game with them and it, it becomes almost like a, an entire kind of social thing yeah the social aspect is definitely the the big thing of it and, uh, and you know games aren't going anywhere and um, social games, I guess, of the future, online games of the future. So uh, it'd be good. It'd be good to see some uh, evolution in there and some, you know, some innovation too. That's all. So I mean, if if people say we're getting a little bit tired of um, modern warfare, I know you, Steve, um, rate Battlefield Three. Do you think it it lived up to expectations, or or has it kind of slightly pandered towards the the modern warfare crowd? Is it trying to get on that money train no i think i I think certainly speaking as a pc gamer i i i think the average pc gamer will be very happy with what they got they got a game which will test the most powerful rig it gives you you know fantastic uh visuals 
Um, and the gameplay is a nice balance of what we remember from Battlefields gone by, and 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 maybe a little bit of pandering to the to the run and gun crowd. I've immensely enjoyed it. Uh, I'm sure Leon's got a few things to say about it, um, but it's it's definitely got that thing that I always go on about, which is you know where you you feel like you've been there, you feel like you you know those areas on the maps they suddenly become somewhere tangible for you and where you know you remember certain battles for certain points in 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 games yeah uh very happy with it and i think we'll be seeing plenty more battlefields to come i do have things to say about it my, my opinion has changed slightly actually um i think again since the last podcast um i've played the back to karkand maps and that that really helped um because battlefield 2 and karkand that's that's me right there so i mean i love that map and and when you say sense of place like that's one of those maps this is a nerdy thing but give me maps like crash on call of duty karkand is one of these maps where i could draw it out for you do you know what i mean if if you asked me to draw it on a piece of paper i could do it because i spent so much time in there and, and it's and not easy it. it's not easy to do good map design you know it's it's such a hard thing to get the balance right and the the environment right and when and when you get it when you get it right like something like a canned you you, you just got to capitalize on it and it's it's no shame in bringing something like that back exactly and wake island is another case in point i mean they can continue bringing that out on every battlefield game and i will love it every time so yeah i mean battlefield did they punish call of duty yes should they have done no um hopefully that they'll come back with maybe they will be the people who revolutionize it and give us something new um i'd love them to be um we, we just need something to change up the genre again I think well, they've got their audience now you know that's that's quite crucial they've got the old crowd and they've certainly got a new crowd as well so um, you know they'll they'll feel confident that they can come back even better mm, definitely let's hope so you've got to squad up uh, I think you know it's such a different game when you're when you're squatted up and when you're playing with um, not necessarily people you know but the people that want to play as a unit um, you know I, we spoke about this before we started recording but you can you can be completely untouchable if you're in a good group, a good squad, and you all know what each other's doing, or you're all being organised. Um, it's a great experience. It's great fun. Oh yeah, because I, I think that's that's the difference between enjoying it and getting frustrated as to when you jump into a helicopter and someone who's clearly just learning flies it straight <laughs> straight into the side of a mountain or something. Yeah, I always apologise when I do that. I do it a lot. I always apologise. It doesn't always go down well, and that's fine if you want to have the hunt with me, but I think it's the very basic etiquette to say sorry. You don't care what he's saying. <laughs> it's just struggle with vehicles. I bought a special joystick so I could uh, fly jets and um, helicopters, and it got sold today because I've used it for about five minutes. I think the the worst thing I did was uh, I just took a speedboat out into uh into the ocean and then i i decided i was going to try and get on a pipe and try and do this that the other and then i realized there were three other people in the boat that <laughs> <laughs> you were popular yeah shaking the virtual heads yeah a few things were said in chat fair enough well then that's pretty much all of the the big titles of um 2011 anything else we we haven't really covered um probably batman i know if ben was here he'd be still fuming about having to pay for the Catwoman levels. Anyone else get hooked by that? Just didn't really grab me to a certain extent the same way that um, Arkham Asylum did. That was a good ending, though. Mm. Good ending. Mm. I haven't actually played Batman. Um, but it's, it's in my backlog of games to, to clear, with Deus Ex, actually. I have played Assassin's Creed of Relations, which is basically Batman. I never thought of it that way. I guess it is. Neither did I, but I heard it the other day, and that makes a lot of sense. It to does me. make a lot of sense. It does. <laughs> yeah, mm, it, it's probably got a lot of the same issues as well. I mean, I don't know. Everyone seems to really like Batman, but Assassin's Creed is just more of the same. That's right. We had a good bitch about Assassin's Creed last uh, in the Lost Poddy. Yeah, yeah Mark the troll. Yeah, I was desperately trying to <laughs> justify giving it three out of five. I don't want to go over large amounts of bitter bitching but i just think that they've added lots of things for the sake of adding it and it's it's you know a bit like leon says about you know the modern warfare series it's it's reached the point where things are just being released for the sake of being released it it, it feels it's still got all the things that you know you love about the assassin's creed series you know you're still sneaking around and taking people out but some of the things bomb making and tower defense and and that kind of thing sometimes you just feel well give me a decent story and that's really what drove on the previous titles and this 
the story you could basically tell in a in a a two-minute cutscene from beginning to end. There's not really much that that's actually happened that that affects the overall story arc for the series. So, you know, play it, but but don't expect too much. I mean, they're just stalling, aren't they? Really, they struck gold with Ezio, didn't they? And they, were, and they knew it, and that that was the, the 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 main issue. You know, making a trilogy out of the sequel in the games world, it just felt a bit. Well, it just felt like they were exploiting people's wallets. Really, I suppose that's what's kind of galling is they did strike gold with Ezio they had a good character that everyone liked and they've thrown in basically made his swan song a bit of a a, you know as Leon says it's filler you just kind of get the feeling that a money man somewhere has said we can't go a year without releasing one you know it's you've got the audience there so long as you put out in the advert a a spiffy looking cutscene it's going to sell massively and it has you know so yeah, I get all that, and the thing to do would just be, you know, do a spin-off. Do a spin-off and put it out in its own right. Don't keep this kind of loyal... Because Assassin's Creed gamers do seem to be very loyal to me. Uh, this loyal fan base just hanging on for another in- instalment of, you know, Assassin's Creed motherhood or, you know, Assassin's Creed fatherhood. It's just, it all gets a bit silly, really. I mean, there were a poll recently saying what where would people like it to go next. So they're obviously thinking about where where it can go, but when it when it'll go there. It's I mean, we're going to see one this year. We're bound to out. We're really probably. Well, it all ends this year. Mm. You know, the whole thing was supposed to be about you know the Mayan calendar and world ending. And yeah, exactly. I mean, they've. I'm just hoping they they'll go out with a bang. It would make the series worthwhile. I'd hate to see them kind of continue flogging it because it it is one of those games the original was quite flawed but it it had a a spark there it it was quite original in many ways um this idea of making a a game around you know the holy land and and they put out this kind of almost cringeworthy don't hate us for 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 making this game we're a multi-faith group of developers it's all fictitious please don't take it to heart if you've just read a dan brown novel kind of disclaimer i hate that at the beginning I I absolutely hate that as well, and I hate that it's on screen. Did they do that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's really soppy. from a team of multi-faiths and ethnicities, and I feel like they're justifying themselves all the time, and it's just a bit silly, really. But I mean, it has been a phenomenon. I mean, it's in kind of modern gaming. If you try and think of another series that's sprung out of nowhere, got mm. this massive following, can sell millions of games on a yearly basis, and if they were to bow out in the right manner and managed to do that then it, it's going to go down as a kind of classic series yeah i wouldn't disagree with that i think it was you know a very very brave move obviously that paid off but they certainly ran with it when it was the right time didn't they i mean they they, they caught flavor of the month and so they're justly justly rewarded for that are they going to pay for it this year though because i'm already thinking do i really want to buy assassin's creed 3 ah, but when it's got a new engine and, and when it's Desmond in the future, that's the thing. They, they just got to play that card, haven't they? And everyone's back. I just really hope they know what the end story is, and they're not just making it up. <laughs> what as if they, they go don't? Along. What if they don't? How funny is that? They just haven't got a clue. They're looking around each them. other. Just going, what, what, what do we do now? The, those we'll offices be... better be tight. <laughs> seriously, <laughs> if, it, if this is a bad ending, oh my god, they can't mess this up. They've, they've dragged it out for this long. If, if they mess it up, then. I'm never trusting them again with anything. They might put a uh, Catwoman code in the box. <laughs> put, put the ending as DLC or something that you have to pay for. Oh, wow. Let's stop giving them ideas. It's an MMO. <laughs> right. Well, before you go giving them too many good ideas away, um, anyone got something that they're particularly looking forward to in 2012? I mean, it's it set hopefully to be a big year for gaming. I've got to say, um, the title from Team Ico. Last Guardian. Mass Effect 3, all the way. Oh, you nah, beat me to it. I knew both of you would say that. <laughs> you know, it, Team Ico, they always produce something a bit different, even though I never really got on that well with Shadow of the Colossus. That would be the one I choose, but I'm sure you're more interested in Mass Effect 3. Yeah, I just no. can't wait for that. I really can't. So you're back to sci-fi again. Yeah, see, that's that's the thing. They're playing to my wheelhouse there. Um, I think I think it is truly like I say in the Mass Effect 2 review that it's one of those you know create your own adventure type things so you know they've, they've got everybody now I've been rolling my shepherd for the last two two games and 
of course I want to finish it. Um, and it, the whole 80s sci-fi synth-laden score type thing, it's just, it's oh, just the right s- up my The head. score is just different gear. It's just so well done. It's so absorbing. I love it. Yeah, I've got the soundtrack, and I, I just listen to it, and it just sends me to sleep. It's it's, it's just so beautiful, and I, I, I'm in with it's that. That's what you listened to earlier. <laughs> quite possibly, <laughs> <laughs> quite possibly. Um, but yeah um, a lot, everybody seems to be kind of a little bit down on it um, because they're adding a few bit of multiplayer elements and stuff like that but definitely I think it's it's one of those franchises which appeared this generation has quickly become one of my favourites oh, that's right it's co-op in this one isn't it yeah it, it's kind of weird I think it's going to be something to do with the galactic readiness level um, where you're fighting off the reapers and maybe you'll have some sort of co-op missions will help you you fight them off or something like that. It's not overly clear at this point. Catwoman code? <laughs> <laughs> Again, stop bringing it back to that. <laughs> but apart from Mass Effect, um, the only other one that I really care about is Bioshock Infinite. Um, that just looks absolutely brilliant. Um, obviously, the first Bioshock everybody loved, and this is what Irrational have been doing ever since, and they seem to be doing some really smart things with it. Thankfully, they haven't just I don't know, made Bioshock 3 or something like everybody else would have done this generation, and they seem to be trying to push push the box with shooters and maybe that that'll be where the the innovation comes from on the single player side which is absolutely fine by me yeah looking forward to that too if it lands this year oh don't say that have they been loose about the date I I thought it was quite rigid Mm, it's just no there's no confirmed date it should be this year but you know what things are like right right so glass half empty there Steve (laughs) (laughs) well I hope it comes out this year I mean but you know developers these days just look at Duke Nukem. <laughs> that, that's that really that savage, wasn't it? <laughs> that did us a favour, though, really. Let it go, Steve. Mm, okay. I think there's I there's a lot a, a lot to be said for um, it'll be ready when it's ready. I think that's you know a, a right decision to make. I know it's not one uh, that a lot of companies can do. You know, when you've got to deliver and you've got deadlines to meet and money to make, then fine, I understand. But uh, if it's ready when it's ready, that's that's good. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, but I mean. On that subject, I mean, it looks something like Skyrim. When you're tied into a, a multi-format release, you know, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, it, it seems very much like, you know, with Skyrim, the other platforms were ready and had minor patches. The PS3 version very much was buggy. But if you've already basically signed a contract that says it's got to be released at the same time as the other platforms... Now, you could put them all back and, you know, risk losing, what, the, the Christmas market, or you, you release one game that's going to be, you know, possibly very much a kind of broken code. Bethesda just can't make PS3 games, it's that simple. I said yeah. it, there we go. But it's not just them, a lot, a, a lot of developers struggle, a lot of them yeah. do. There's, I don't, maybe it's their type of game, that big massive open world, stuff's bound to go wrong in, in those games anyway. Um, and then they just seem to have problems with the PS3, which they've never gotten over. Right, well, before we alienate all of our listeners... <laughs> Sorry. All, all PS3 listeners. <laughs> I should apologise to uh, game writers as well. I was a bit unkind earlier. I'm sure you're all very talented people. <laughs> Steve would like to apologise to game writers. Um, Leon would like to apologise to all PS3 owners. And Steve would like to apologise for Duke Nukem Forever. <laughs> I apologise for its existence, but I'm not responsible for it. (laughs) All right, well, all that remains for me to do is to thank you all for joining me. Thanks, Leon, Steve and Steve. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Pleasure. See you, bye. And say thanks for listening to AV Forum's gaming podcast with me, Mark Bottry. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.